In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. As I was preparing for the sermon, I couldn't help but uh, throw this up there when I came across it. So I guess Jesus is buying some fish and it says, buy two, get 5,000. So anyway, so today we, we read the passage of the, the feeding of the multitude of the 5,000. And I, I just wanted to meditate on a commandment that Christ gives his disciples. He tells them, you give them something to eat. Now, I've come across this commandment or this instruction that Christ gives his disciples several times. I mean, we read this gospel every day. It's the ninth hour gospel from the Igbeya prayers. So every day throughout our Igbeya prayers, we're coming across this gospel. We're very familiar with it. And you might come across this part of the gospel and maybe you don't think much of it. And I never really thought much of this statement until I started to meditate a little bit on it. And it really is an outlander statement for Christ to tell his disciples to feed a multitude of 5,000 men. And keep in mind, those are just men. It's a much bigger number in reality especially in, uh, in a Middle Eastern culture where parents are just popping out kids left and right. So you have big families. Think of maybe like a family has at least two or three kids. And so if you have a family of four or five and 5,000 men, that's at least 20, 25,000 people. And so for Christ to look at his disciples and say, you give them something to eat, that's an absurd commandment. I don't know if he's just messing with them, it's a joke or what, but there's something that doesn't really make sense for him to tell them to do that. And so the only way we could really understand it is if we try to look at this commandment or this instruction in context of what was happening just prior to this. So if you remember in the beginning of Luke in chapter 9, Christ commissions the disciples to go and, and serve the community. He tells them to heal the sick, and to cast out demons, and to preach the kingdom of God. And so he's initiating them into the service. He's giving them instructions to do one, two, three. Basically the instruction manual for like service 101, go cast out demons, heal the sick, preach the kingdom of God. And so they come back and they tell him about their experience. And at this point is whenever we have this event where the multitude follow him and there's a problem because all these people are hungry and now they got to figure out what they're going to do. And so Christ is giving them this commandment in the sense of trying to connect what he started with them at the beginning of this chapter, which was guiding them into a life of service and a life of ministry. Just as he told them to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to preach the kingdom of God, he's taking them now to the ultimate fulfillment of service and of ministry, which is to feed others. And so, if you look at everything that he's asked them to do throughout the service, the commandment to give the multitude something to eat is actually the greatest action that any servant can do. There's nothing greater that we as Christians can do than to feed others. And, and trust me, Christ isn't just talking about feeding them physical food. Uh, we know that in, in 
this account, um, he, he relates the, the feeding of the multitude to what happened in the wilderness that the Israelites received the heavenly manna and that this is the life-giving bread. That this is not just physical food, but spiritual food. Okay, so take a look at what St. John Chrysostom says in meditating on what it is that Christ really wants the, the disciples to feed the multitude. He says, I fed your bodies, and he's basically reflecting on what Christ is saying or doing at this time. So he says, I fed your bodies. He says, so that after this, you might seek that other food that endures, which nourishes the soul. Understand that I, that I lead you not to this imperfect food, which nourishes the body, but to that which nourishes the soul. And so Christ is intending not to feed them just physical food. He's intending to feed them what? Spiritual food. And he himself comes later on in this chapter, and it's, it's very eminent in, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 6, where he says, I am the living bread. Just as I gave you this food for your bodies, I am this food. In a sense, he's pointing it at himself when he's telling them, give them something to eat. What he wants the disciples to do is to give them Christ, is to give them the spiritual food. And that's what we just all partook of during this liturgy. We partook of that spiritual food. So in a sense, I gave you something to eat. In a sense, I fulfilled this commandment today. Because I'm the priest, that's my job is to give you communion, right? And so... What he's telling the disciples to do is to just be like priests. Give them something to eat. Give them my body and my blood. Give them Christ. Feed them not just the food that perishes, but feed them what? The food that lasts into eternal life. Right? This was always Christ's concern and priority throughout his ministry. That he doesn't just stop at feeding and satisfying the flesh. Of course he came to feed the poor and, and the sick and the homeless with physical food, but he never just wanted to stop there. So I told you, this is quite obvious in, in the Gospel of, of John, so I'm just going to mention what he says here. The bread that I shall give you is my flesh. He tells them, the bread that I give you is my flesh. And so when the Jews heard this, they quarreled among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. He wants to give us His self. He doesn't just want to give us a loaf of bread. He wants to give us spiritual food. And so that's why He's initiating them from the very first step of ministry to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to preach the kingdom of God. Now to the ultimate, like, pinnacle climax of ministry. Like, what is greater than to give others eternal life? Can there be anything greater than that, than to give others eternal life? Than to bring others to the altar? When you bring someone to the altar, you, you fulfill the ultimate stage or level of ministry. Because you're, you're uniting another soul 
to Christ Himself. And so, I'm going to make it as simple and as practical as possible. This isn't a theory or, or a philosophy. It's literally bringing people to the liturgy. What He's essentially telling His disciples when He says, you give them something to eat, He's basically telling them, you bring them to the liturgy so that they can have real food. This is where we eat. We're created to eat. We're created to feed on the tree of life. Whenever He put Adam and Eve in a paradise, He put two trees there. One was the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the other one was the tree of life, but that tree of life is Christ Himself. And the fathers are all very clear about this, that this tree was for our eternal life, that we were created to be united with Him by eating. We're not created to fast, even though we fast a lot in Orthodox Church. We're created to eat. But not just to eat in and out, or some... Steak or chicken. We're created to eat His life-giving body and blood. So Father Anthony Hughes says, it takes only a short leap to connect the feeding of the Hebrews in exile and the feeding of the 5,000 with the Eucharist. It really takes a short leap to make that connection between the feeding of the Israelites in the wilderness whenever God gave them the heavenly manna and the feeding of the multitude now as we read this passage with the Eucharist itself. So in a sense, this is a a Eucharistic ministry. Feeding the multitude, feeding the 5,000 is a Eucharistic service. And so he says, from the barrenness of this world we're invited to experience God's all-pervasive grace by receiving the new manna, which is the Lord's body and blood. So we're invited to perform the work of a priest. And I'm telling you, you don't have to be dressed up like me, standing at the altar, to bring others to the body and the blood of Christ. We, we can't stop with just doing our community services and, and doing the, the, the ministry that... that is happening outside of the church. That's all good. But we can't stop there. Right? I mean, that's exactly what happened with the disciples. He sent them out and he says, heal the sick, cast out demons, preach the kingdom of God. But he didn't want them to stop there. Now he tells them the greatest of all commandments for a servant to accomplish, which is, bring them to me. Feed them my body and my blood. And so we're called to do the very same thing. So it's good to go out and serve. It's good to go and connect with the community and to serve the community and be a positive presence in the community. But the purpose is to bring the community into the life of Christ. It's to bring the community into the church. It's to bring the community into the Eucharistic ministry. I remember when the steering committee was meeting with Amba uh, Serapion and we were talking about the vision for the church. He said, it's good that a church does outreach and ministers to the community. But this is what every other church does. So if you're going to be an American Coptic Orthodox Church and you're going to integrate into this culture, you can't stop there. You can't just stop at going to minister to the community and come right back to your church. And then he used a very, very simple but funny example. He said, 
the church that just goes to feed the community and goes right back to church and leaves the community where it is after they feed them is like somebody going to the zoo. And so use this example. So it's like going to feed a monkey. This is his, his words. So I could, <laughs> I could use this funny example without getting myself in trouble. But it's like going to feed a monkey at the zoo. You give him peanuts... He's happy because he got some peanuts, and you're happy because you got to feed the monkey. Everybody's happy. There's your service. But you go back doing your thing, the monkey's still a monkey, and you're no different either. Right? No one really changes. The real purpose is for the people we're serving to enter into the life of Christ. Right? It's for the people we're ministering to to participate in, in the Eucharistic life of the church. And, and for, for that, like, there's, there's nothing greater than for you to bring others into that Eucharistic life. We get to not just see Him and hear Him, but we get to taste Him. St. John Chrysostom says, there's nothing that, that compares to this. He says, how many people now say, I wish I could see his shape, his appearance, his garments, his sandals. But only look, you see him, you touch him, you eat him. How many of us are, are out there doubting that we want to experience Christ? Or we want to see him, or we want to hear him? I know growing up, like that's all I wanted to do, is just I wish Jesus would appear to me so I could really believe. Well, what, do you, what more do you want? You don't only see Him, but you eat Him. And we approach with faith, knowing that it truly is, not just a symbol, but truly is His body and His blood. Right? And so, for starters, we ourselves have to engrave our own life into the life of the liturgy, if we are to bring others into the liturgy, into the, the, the Eucharistic ministry of the Church. Because we can't pull others into this life when we ourselves are not committed to it. So, practical step number one is to, to commit to the Eucharistic life, is to commit to the liturgy, is to really dedicate your time and your energy to it. Before you come here, take a look at the readings. The night before, take a look at the readings and see what the theme is really all about. And figure out what, what the season is really all about. Try to be involved, participate in, in the prayers. If you don't understand something that's happening, ask. But you got to be committed and you got to be engaged, you got to be involved, so that all you're really doing is leading by example. You can't drag people into the Eucharist. But if people are following you, would they end up at the altar? Would they end up participating in the Eucharist. If all people are doing is just following you, where would they end up? Would they end up in the Eucharistic life of the church? And so, I know one of the biggest struggles for us to really lead others to the Eucharist is our lack of understanding. And, and I can't blame anybody for not understanding what is really happening in the liturgy. And so like I told you, I wanted to use this sermon as a little uh, advertisement or a segue for another announcement.
So what we're going to do in a month from now is we're going to have an instructional liturgy where we literally go through step by step the whole liturgy and explain everything. And so you'll understand why we pray this part, why the priest goes here, why the priest goes there, why the priest is doing this or doing that. And the more you understand, I promise you, the more you'll appreciate. And the more you appreciate, that, that will spark more involvement. You'll be engaged. And when you participate in the liturgy, that becomes your life. And so it really comes down to just understanding. So I don't blame anybody for a lack of knowledge. Because growing up, we didn't have opportunities to really learn about what's happening in the liturgy. But now, there's no excuse. So, next month, which is, I think, going to be August 10th, we're going to have a very, very quick liturgy, no sermon, nothing. We're going to finish, like, before 10 o'clock. And I'm going to take a little break. We're going to come back and just do, like, a fake liturgy, okay? Where we go through the prayers and literally stop and explain and stop and explain. And then we'll take a break after an hour, come back for another hour, and then just take some questions if you guys have any questions at the end. Very similar to the structure that we had last week with the Science and Faith Day. Alright, so I want to encourage you to, to question what's happening in the liturgy. I want to encourage you to, to seek a deeper knowledge. Not just an intellectual knowledge, but a spiritual knowledge. To really challenge yourself about what you know during this this beautiful sacrament, everything in the church leads to this sacrament. I've, I've said this so many times, but I'll say it again. There was never a sacrament in the church that happened outside of the Eucharist. Sacrament of baptism, chrismation, all happened at the beginning of the Eucharist. Sacrament of marriage, now people don't get married during the liturgy, but believe it or not, this is a novel thing because... All the ladies need a little time to get ready in the morning and it's a little inconvenient with the liturgy. But marriages in the liturgy. Confession, the sacrament of confession in the liturgy. The unction of the sick in the liturgy. Why? Because everything points to his body and his blood. That's the purpose of our life is to be united with him. Is to participate in, in his life. And is to partake of eternal life through his body and his blood. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.